So a few more words on the practice of um, meditation. Meditation here being understood as a, um, in terms of maybe mindfulness, being particularly aware of what is happening, as we're often kind of superficially aware or habitually aware with our ideas. You know, we get a little sign from reality and we know. I know that type of person. I know that type of evening we're going to have, you know. Or um, or we're attentive, wanting to get something. And now we're, uh, the meditation, the mindfulness practice is to be attentive to what is there because it's happening. So there's a recognition that if it's happening, it's probably worthy of being uh, known because it came to be. Huh? It came to be. If it's beautiful and it came to be, then it's worthy uh, of being really felt, you know, uh, beauty of some sort, meaning, encounter, I don't know what it is, but be really there. Um, and if it's something that is painful, it's definitely worthy of being uh, met in an order maybe to understand more deeply what's, what's going on here, you know, where's the freedom in this... Uh, situation. Um, and so to me um, that m mindfulness or meditation can uh, be formal like this, sitting like this, maybe with eyes closed or not, but also as we see here we're promoting it, exploring it in the walking so that we don't make that sorry association between uh, high quality presence and stillness, that we don't equate the two together, that we can actually uh, uh, learn to be and discover how it's possible to be particularly attentive while the mouth is moving, like now, or the hand is moving, you know. Because in our life, that's a lot of what's going to happen. We're going to be, uh, well, relational in many ways and uh, in movement also and you know we want to be able to have access to uh, wisdom in these situations uh, where we're moving or relating and we want to be able to have access to the beautiful qualities that can be uh, developed uh, in meditation uh, while we're uh, yeah going about our our daily activities or special situations that happen fullness of presence. And so here, uh, the way we understand the practice is there's the formal sitting, is one way. Then there's the formal walking. It's another way to develop that quality of presence that has a duration to it, a sustained presence. Not kind of a haphazard or, you know, that really tunes in and remains present um, in the formal walking. And then, as I was suggesting, I think uh, earlier this morning before lunch, in all other activities, you know, so dining hall activities, wow, what a beautiful field to be awake in. Because, you know, it can be, yeah, beautiful field as in, oh, heaven, dining hall, or as in hell realm, dining hall, <laughs> you know. <laughs> probably felt differently for different people here, for the different uh, uh, 
uh, each one of us and at different times differently, you know. But that's uh, one place. And then in the bedroom, you know, when I'm in my room, nobody's watching, you know, let me be compulsive, obsessive, <laughs> disconnected. <laughs> and yeah, absolutely do that, you know, if you want to. But uh, at some point there might be the capacity to recognize, oh, maybe here too. There, it would be useful. It could be there could be a richness in staying present. Uh, so, so basically, all all forms in that research uh, center, in that uh, in that field that we're in, uh, each form is a form where. Uh, is an occasion for presence. If you go walk the loop or go in the woods or by the garden. Uh, and what are the instructions of the Buddha? Well, the, the instruction seems to be um, that it's wor- worthy of our attention. Really, really worth, like where, what should I be attentive to? We could start with the idea that we're always giving attention to something in a habitual way, in an unconscious way, there's always something that the mind is attentive to, in a way, you know. Fantasy, uh, worst case scenario, comparing, uh, wanting something else. What are you attentive to? The thing that is not here, mostly. (laughs) And don't exist, but should, or could, or will they, you know. And so the instructions are, oh, you there's this capacity to be attentive, to, to know, to experience things. The suggestion is to be attentive to a presently arisen experience of the senses. I, rem- I remember that was interesting to me when it was, pr- I was like, oh no, I thought like I had to obsess about my life. You know, I thought that was the way out of suffering. And it's like, and you're telling me to listen to a tractor passing by? <laughs> and this would might, might be the, the way to, I'm happy somebody found the way. And is showing the way because I would not have found it by myself. You know? <laughs> that I could, you know, think about what's coming next and what happened in the past and you're suggesting, oh, but maybe you could also feel the breath that is here now. And let's see where this will lead. It's almost like, it seems like it requires a, some kind of act of faith. Like, I don't see how they connect, you know, wisdom, freedom, and immediate experience. It's not clear to me, or I have a sense that it might be true. I can recognize something, but I have to actually try it. And so here is the place where we try it, even though we are not sure, sure, absolutely sure. We try that. It's kind of counterintuitive for many of us. Like, no, obsessively thinking about something. My intuition tells me (laughs) that's the way to go, you know. And here we say, no, let's drop this. And let's feel, let's feel what's here. Let's feel the posture. The body sitting, sitting, they, he, she, know they are sitting. To me that's uh, 
surprising as an instruction. Just that, it's so primary. Sitting, know you're sitting. It seems like the mind quickly goes like, yeah, I know I'm sitting, but you don't know about the rest of (laughs) my life, you know? Can you remain conscious that sitting is happening? Ah, that's hard, it's epic. No, it's over there, no, think about that. No, I'm sitting. (laughs) You know, while standing, know you're standing. We're gone, you know. While walking, know you're walking. Have you seen the challenge of this? That's why we put a pause after 10, 20 pace, you know. To realize that we're actually in the body, you know, like you start walking and then gone, you know, gone somewhere else in fiction, you know, making up a place where something is happening, you know, home, the cat, you know, or we're walking and we forget because this one, they're walking over there. Why did they go over there? Why are they turning like this? Why are they walking backwards? <laughs> you know? And so we leave our immediate experience all the time, fascinated. And so the instructions are this, standing, know you're standing, walking, know you're walking. It's remarkable for me. I don't think I'll have enough of a lifetime to wake up in this way. And what's the possibility? And why would we do this? So one, I'll maybe name a couple of things here, but one, something that has been, uh, yeah, surprising is something that I experience a lot around uh, meditative awareness. I'm like even keep re-experiencing the same, making the same discoveries, but still surprised about them. I'm not getting over this. But um, by bringing attention to something as simple as uh, the posture maybe, or the movement of the body or a part of the body or um, a sense door, an experience at the sense door. Sometimes one of the things that happens is that um, suddenly there's this kind of a fullness that I didn't expect because my kind of belief view was there was something missing. I was incomplete or should be further along or some some kind of either vague impression or really kind of oppressing impression that, you know, I don't know if you can recognize something in something and what I'm describing. But then, you know, in in the case of this uh, activity here, like I'll, I'll, and it's happening as I'm saying it, I'll just be particularly present, mindfulness, particularly present to the hand lifting the the stick. It's both surprising and deeply touching for me. By having a particular kind of generous attention, like being as fully as possible, you know, giving, not keeping attention for something else, you know, but really feeling that experience. Sometimes there's something full it, it, it seems like full of reality. And suddenly the idea that I was not enough, or do I have value or not, or what will happen to Pascal, and the, you know, all this disappears. Because there's just this, 
or it could be this or this or this, you know, or this hair on the skin. And it reveals the made-up, mirage-like nature of the belief I was holding, you know, that maybe, you know, am I worthy of, will, will I make it, will I be, you know, this falls away. It's a f- it shows it false, falsity, or it's uh, ephemerality, or it's lightness. When I thought it was, uh, in French we would say grave, seriousness, very, very serious, essential, so important. Suddenly, it's like, oh my God, it's, it's disappearing. There's just tractor sound, you know? And then, you know, yeah, but moi and the rest of my life. But then I'm not that duped, fooled anymore. Especially that's the n- often how insight, vipassana, insight, uh, vipassana, seeing uh, profoundly, deeply, how it works is by uh, several little insights like this. Like I notice, oh, the gravity of my situations come back, but it was dis- has disappeared for a few seconds. And by having that happen a number of times during the retreat, when it comes back, I'm not that fooled by it. Do you see what I mean? It's like, hold on, because I've seen this kind of flicker pretty easily. It pretty much just needs the sound of a tractor for it to vanish, you know, or I don't know, a sound there, or, and then whoops, it's gone for a second, it actually disappeared. How interesting that I'm so faithful and give so much weight to this thing. What liberates me is to see that it has a flickering nature, even when it seems so heavy. And so I think you might recognize that it needs a a certain quality of awareness to recognize the flickering nature of uh, what um, inhabits us or uh, preoccupy us or occupy us. And so, after I might be able to return to these concerns, uh, not in a dismissive way, in a careful way, but uh, accompanied with the wisdom that it's also kind of mirage-like. It's true and not true. and So that I might attend to something with uh, a little bit more inner space, anyway. So I'm describing something that I've seen uh, often in my process, and I think that I've seen in others also happen. And so for me, this practice is invaluable in this way. Um, and so the instructions are that stay close to the senses and as you do many things will be revealed how you know um, you know when we were talking earlier about the comparing mind when it lands you know when it that reality appears in this way it's an appearance 
it's a particular angle, no? Because there's a moment where there's not comparing, was not present, it was not happening. So do you see how we're born in different mind states and realities suddenly? You know, like I'm just, you might have already had this experience walking, like you're just walking. There's just walking, it's simple walking, boom, 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 you know? Walking, then you stop, just about to turn and you lift your head a bit, and then you see that somebody's there. What kind of walker am I? You know, like am I, you know, like suddenly the self-consciousness, like self-questions about self, the worth, worthiness of self, or the, you know, suddenly I, and the second before I didn't exist in this way. I like to see the flickering nature of these mind states, impressions. It frees me, because before I didn't know that, I would not be aware of the arising of that mind state and it's disappearing. I would just know it as it was there. Oh my God, what am I? Am I walking right? Like too slow, too quick? You know, like something like this. And this, I would believe in this, you know, that there was a big real question about Pascal existing as a walker and they're okay, you know. Or in arrogance, you know, sometimes, because that could be the mind state, you know. Yeah, I walk so well right now. (laughs) You know, or everybody can walk except me, you know. It's a job as a, in this role as the teacher, we we hear these things, some people come like, I don't know how to breathe, I don't know how to stand, I don't know how to sit, I don't know how to walk. Oh, interesting. Do you see what I mean? Like, we can have, like, strong mind, suddenly doubt, you know? I don't know how to sit. No, you're, you're sitting. <laughs> it's, it's happening. <laughs> you know, I don't know how to walk anymore. Yeah, it's probably fine. <laughs> you know? But this impression is so... It gr- takes the heart, you know? Like, it contracts the whole system. And so we want to wake up to these, all these formations that happen. Um, because it means it's self-imposed, it's been internalized, you know. But also it means we're going to impose this to others, you know. And so we want to wake up to, uh, to these things. And how is it done? By being aware of standing while standing, of sitting while sitting, uh, being aware of the breath happening now. So everything that is of the materiality, physicality, at the sense doors, cold, cold, cool, warmth, expansions, contractions, uh, heaviness, lightness, movements, you know, turning uh, their head, they know they turn their head. That's the instructions of the Buddha. It's very, very, very simple but that uh, brings a certain kind of presence in which a lot will be revealed. So what did I name that is revealed up to now? I, I just now, in this last three minutes, I, I, I named the ephemeral, flickering nature of phenomena. In our conceptualizing mind, we make things solid. Huh? We make I solid. I, this is me, 
and and then we we're confused because the I that I perceive is not reflected by the other. The other is reflecting a different I. You know, they say, "No, you're great." You're great. no, I don't feel great. Or you're like, "Well, you're not worthy of anything." You know, in my book, you know, and you're like, "But I feel like I exist and should be a count, you know part of the group." But the outside is telling me that no, because you know, a person of that size, no, is not acceptable, or of that length, or of that shape, uh, that color, or that gender is not acceptable. And so we pay attention and the flickering nature of these things is revealed, the conditioned nature of these things, the oppressive nature of these things are revealed. And something else that is revealed also, bring a little good news, Pascal, (laughs) please. So, vipassana, deep, intuitive, kind of in embodied uh, intelligence. What I like about uh, what will be revealed is that um, the different uh, attitudes of our mind uh, will get to know very much intimately, uh, in a really felt way, uh, which ones are helpful, beneficial, liberating, will accompany us well, and which one are uh, entangling, uh, mm, confusing, oppressive. Yeah? And this is not, uh, I like that it doesn't work with, the, it could work with the list. Here are the mind states that will help you and others. The way it works here is that we, uh, through the walking, the sitting, the being in line for food, the, all these different activities we do, by bringing attention, we get to feel the different mind states we're in. And so, you know, maybe there's something that is said about benevolence. Benevolence is good, you know. But here we get to taste it when it's there or when it's absent. So it's much deeper than uh, than um, the kind of information we could get about it. You know, you should be benevolent. You should have goodwill. You should be kind. Loving kindness, really hot. You know, people have T-shirts about it, and they have plates on their car about it, like loving kindness. You know, but here we get to touch it, even if it comes for one second, and from somebody else crossing the doorway, you know, a moment of presence to kindness is very powerful because we recognize uh, in a felt way, we kind of vibrate, you know, Uh, you know, it might come at the moment from the teachers or from the cook or from another yogi or from oneself. You know, moment of giving oneself a break from that to do, you're not going to succeed, it's not going to work for you, everybody else will succeed, everybody else will leave with insight except (laughs) you. (laughs) You know? 
And if there is a clearing for a few seconds, one second of that, a kind of a disappearance of that, and suddenly there's the absence of that kind of oppressive tonality in the heart-mind, that's what we call insight. Suddenly, ah, I don't need to hear about it. I felt it. And it's impression, impressive. Yeah. I remember um, not, not so long ago, there was uh, one person who was uh, practicing uh, in a retreat and was this, I mean, I've heard so many descriptions of these uh, discoveries. Like they're very um, uh, universal, but also very, very personal, very impactful. So when, uh, just the one that comes to mind now is somebody was on the retreat and they were saying, uh, you know, this is my like second retreat, you know. I know this practice, you know. And so as sitting here, you know, kind of uh, impatient, you know, like, give me the real stuff, you know. I, I know about mindfulness of body, I know, I know about this stuff, and I heard about it. I, I listened to Dharma Seed. <laughs> <laughs> I know all this stuff, you know. And so the attitude was like, like this, like, come on, okay, sitting, sitting, ring the bell, okay, walk, I'm walking, I'm walking, you know. And so this person said, like, they were kind of soaking unconsciously. That's a very important point, unconsciously in that. It was there, but unseen, unfelt. Huh? It was not recognized. It was, uh, this person was in, under the trance of that mind state. So not free from it, caught in it unknowingly. And then that person described so beautifully that uh, they went at the mealtime break in the woods to walk, and they were like, yeah, forest, forest, you know, I know. You know, kind of that attitude. Then suddenly they, it hits them. And the hitting was, condi- it was conditional, caused by trying to apply the practice, you know, trying to be there, be there. And suddenly this person saw their mind, if you will, you know, saw the attitude. It was there the whole time, or maybe often, let's say. But it was unseen. And suddenly mindfulness kicked in like a real felt sense of that, wakeful, awake to the attitude, not in trance and following it, not duped, but awake. And in this moment, this person saw insight, often inferential, like you see all the other places where it could apply, you know. And this person was reporting, this is what I bring to the people I love the most. This is often my contribution. Come on, you know? This is how I show up to my family or friends, you know? That's insight, huh? Because it's not an idea, it's felt. Very powerful. Because it might come back, you know, it has a momentum, it's been trained in the mind, but there's something that's been touched there's a reorganizing of value. Actually, this that was seen as helpful, come on, bring me the stuff, has been clarified, wisdom, discernment. Now I know this is not a friendly attitude. That's not helpful for me and others. That's separating, that's uh, 
It's entangling, it's not liberating. So what happens here is this, with all kinds of energies in the mind or attitude or uh, patterns. And so that's why we pay attention to things that are very palpable, you know, like the sitting, the standing, the walking, the going upstairs, the hand on the railing, or I don't know what, the back on the on the resting on the mattress. We pay attention to this and it, uh, it's based in reality. And then something else will come into focus. Something else that we might not have known, that we're actually waiting. We didn't know, we thought we were just meditating, but actually we're waiting for something else. It's not been made clear yet. Just a little bit more of development of attention, then we'll say, oh, look at that, I'm waiting. I'm actually not experiencing life. I'm waiting for the next thing that I think will have value. How oh, I'm postponing freedom or connection. Oh, I'm putting words on it now, but uh, vipassana is not is not. It doesn't go through words. It's felt. It's felt. So that's why we. Uh, kind of invite less of the discursive mind that tells reality what it is or should be. And we put an emphasis on uh, receptivity, on feeling, feeling. And it takes time to develop that sensitivity so that more will come to focus. We'll see more details than what we see now with our habitual or superficial attention. We just keep, we stay and keep paying attention, because something will become clear. Maybe I'll touch on another little, little point that is um, has some depth to it. I think is uh, kind of delicate, but somehow I think it's it might be good to talk about this. So as I'm um, just sitting, you know, doing the practice, sitting and paying attention, paying attention. There's views, the way I hold, held, understood, even perceived and sensed things that uh, in the course of practice will be altered, clarified in a liberating way. And so, so maybe that's what I'm talking about is on the, you know, could very well turn out to be on many years of practice, decades of practice, but that could be uh, I think it's worth it of being mentioned. Or it could be really quick. There's no hard rule around this, you know. So, you know, I have a sense, a perception that there is Pascal. There's a certain Pascal in there, and I 
would like to get to know Pascal, find out who they are exactly, and and love them, you know, and and uh, etc. And as I sit and just pay attention, you know, um, feeling. Uh, Maybe the sensations in the face or in the shoulders or on the butt, the tingling or the hardness or the heat or the coolness. My uh, perception of reality changes a bit. It's like what I thought was uh, Pascal suddenly becomes more of the elements, elemental, you know, heat. Heat is there tingling space, what I thought of as, uh, I don't know, my hand, you know, what is this, my hand. As I practice, it becomes more like a field, a field of sensations, tingling. And thoughts, I thought they were my thoughts, you know, that I was thinking. And as I practice, often I see that thoughts arrive by themselves, uninvited, you know, kind of uh, opinions lend there, or they're associative, you know, there's a certain sound, and then there's an image that follows the sound of a certain bird. Probably most of the time it's not the same, <laughs> it's not has nothing to do with reality, you know. It's a and so it's intriguing to me that what I thought of uh, me, mine, I, actually seems to happen, not, not exactly me or I, but happen by itself. Do, don't know if you can follow me a bit here. So thoughts do the emotions. Suddenly there'll be an emotion. It's really alive. It's not that it doesn't exist. It's really alive, but I'm not sure anymore if it's... Uh, exactly me, or something is definitely visiting in the same way that uh, a sound crosses the field of consciousness, you know. Sometimes, oh, this, oh, this being, <coughs> even want to use the third person sometimes, oh, this being, this being is miserable or sad, there's sadness here. It's very intriguing to me, like what is mine and not mine, and. So um, I feel there's been a lot of identification with things that actually belong to nature. You know, that I can, there can be an attendance to it, a care, caring for it. But, um, and the more I do this practice and have these kinds of uh, understanding, I think, it seems like the fear of death releases some, you know, that oh, there is life, there's definitely life happening. I kind of mistakenly took everything personal, like describing me being mine. Uh, but things happen, like disease happens, health happens, hunger happens, confusion happens. And I want to really take care of it. I don't want to be dismissive, be responsible also about the different arising. But I'm less... Uh, less uh, it's less uh, fused, but not uh, separated, you know, I could feel like uh, very alive in the middle of things, not like 
disconnected, feels very vibrant, very alive. But um, anyway, I would describe this as an aspect of freedom that I was not aware was possible, you know. It allows for, let's say, confusion to be there without uh, having to solve everything. Like, I'm confused, (laughs) I cannot be confused. Oh no, there's confusion. Confusion happens, you know. Can we be okay in the middle of confusion? Maybe yes, for a little while, you know, until something clarifies. For me, this was... um, Maybe I'm a, a particular interest in this because early in my life, before I practiced this, uh, this kind of um, in question or sense or was uh, shaken pretty early uh, in my in my life, as it might have been in yours also. I don't know, but um, you know, when I was 25, I think many of you know, but when I was 25, one day I was at uh, the doctor's office and the doctor told me that I had lost my health through uh, the HIV virus. It was at a time where there was no medication uh, out there. That's an experience that some of you might know very personally, either in your own body or in the, in the, in the body of people that you've uh, known and loved. Um, and I remember being so shaken, so deeply shaken, almost, almost vipassana, almost inside, but I didn't have the capacity to understand, but there was a like that I thought I was health. I thought health was mine. And it's like somebody was saying, oh, let me correct the view here. It's not exactly you or yours. It was there. It was conditional. And now the conditions have changed. So you mistakenly take, took something as yours that was not yours. So this is mainly the news I have to give you. You know, that there was a slight little mistake in the understanding of reality. But I almost got it, but couldn't. I didn't have the tools to really make sense of it. I had a sense that something had been deeply shaken. And so there was an identity attached to this. You know, the identity, I'm youth, health, and even eternity. That's how it, this being was perceived, you know. And suddenly it was like, no, eternity, no. Youth is going to change pretty quickly the way we look at how it's been happening for others with the same diagnosis, you know. And uh, yeah, and health, no, was not yours. Somehow, like I wish I had, this had been told to me before, I had understood this before, but that's fine. But now I really want to understand this, that this memory, intelligence, body, senses, body parts, things that I think belongs to me or are mine. It could be objects or people or objectified people, (laughs) you know, that I think they're mine. Like I want to, this is why I sit here a lot, because I want to clarify this, that 
you know, the things come together and then they undo, you know, be it youth or, you know, whatever else, try, you could try pretty much anything, I think, you know. And so for me, the practice here is to clarify this, seeing that the Pascal that was walking earlier is gone. And can that be okay? Like I'm practicing being okay with things, you know, disappearing. You know, the Pascal or the you that was sitting here earlier at the beginning of this talk has vanished, cannot be experienced, is non-existent. And I think that paying attention like not being obsessed with the stories that kind of create more and more solidity. It's me, me in the future, me. Like letting go of the, all these conceptualizing, storytelling, myth-making, and paying attention to the immediate experience will reveal the kind of uh, ephemeral na- nature of event, you know? And so at some point we'll be sitting somewhere in a train or a bus or a plane or a car in the retreat gone and so we come here to notice appearing appearances and disappearances so we have to clear our mind from all the stories to actually see while it's happening tastes appear, disappear, olives appear and disappear. And it says in the teaching that this can really, really liberate the heart in a very deep way. You know, make what appears very precious, maybe. And uh, know in advance that things are ephemeral. Oh, this talk has just ended. <laughs> just when you thought it would be forever. You know? <laughs> Is he going to stop talking one day? And can that be okay? That things are like this, that they appear and disappear. Can it be okay? Maybe we have uh, some grieving process related to this, you know, and, you know, but I wish it stayed forever. Well, no, that's not the rules of the game here. That's not the nature of how things are. And apparently there can be a deep uh, peace, recognizing, accepting, coming close, intimate with that aspect of reality. Let's take just a moment here to feel this moment before it's gone. So we don't have to create anything, we just pay attention and uh, the phenomena will reveal 
their passing nature. Like the body that we often think as a solid, permanent thing, if we dive under the ideas, conceptions we have about it, we might discover just a field or river of sensations. The river of gravity being experienced. The river of tingling. The river of hearing. the river of present moment, moments. So the Buddha instructs us to uh, notice, particularly if we want to, the appearing and disappearing of events, as in the sound of the bell now. Thank you for your uh, attention, for your consideration. And um, now we'll be aware of um, uh, the steps appearing and disappearing one after the other. And then there will be probably something similar with taste. Thank you.